Well, Luke, it's been almost two full days since Notre Dame knocked off the number one team in the country. Has your level of excitement declined at all since then? Level of excitement? Uh, I don't think so. Um, certainly can't stop smiling still. Um, even just like walking around at different points of the day, just start smiling out of nowhere, which is <laughs> very out of character for me. But uh, definitely starting to feel the effects of, of the celebration a little bit. Um, I... I can't really do anything right now. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have a lot of energy on this. I'm pretty excited, but I think I'm just going to order about a, a hundred chicken wings and max out on that <laughs> and watch this awful Jets-Pats game. But uh, wow, what a night. What a night indeed. So hello and welcome in. This is the Sun Saturday Irish Podcast. I'm Tyler Wojcik with Luke Smith alongside. Needless to say, these past few days have been pretty damn awesome. Notre Dame beat number one Clemson on Saturday night in a double overtime thriller by a score of 47-40, snapping Clemson's regular season win streak of 36 games in the process and vaulting Notre Dame to number two in the AP poll. I think I can say pretty definitively that that was the biggest win from Notre Dame in Luke and I's lifetimes, and we're both super excited to talk about it. So, the plan for today. We'll talk about our experience watching the game, and this week more than any other week, it truly was an experience watching that game from beginning to end, a bunch of highs and lows throughout. Then we'll break down what we liked during the game and loved after rewatching it. Then we got the chance to talk with Stanford Steve. I got to know Stanford Steve during my time working on Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt. He and I spent a lot of time talking college football in the pre-show conference room, and now we get to do it for the podcast. He's the best. He was telling everyone all week Notre Dame was going to win, and he was right. So now he gets to join us as we take our victory lap. Also, quick programming note, we're going to be releasing two shows a week going forward, similar to what we did last week. We'll continue to do our game recaps, plus a guest interview for our Tuesday shows. And now we'll be dropping short game previews on Friday mornings with just the two of us. Now, Luke, you are there. You have the floor to reminisce on everything that went down in South Bend on Saturday. I mean, really just a, a picture-perfect weekend in South Bend. Uh, spent with, with some of my best friends. I wish you had been there as well, but I guess somebody has to work, huh? Um, but really just a, a fantastic weekend, um, you know, spending time with people throughout the day and, and about an hour before kickoff. Uh, my old man has a plaque by the law school, and I, I made sure to stop by and, and dump a beer on it as I have been doing of late a Miller Lite and uh, I, I actually kissed this plaque for the first time I needed all the juju we could get um, I guess it worked um, and you know what all I gotta say is man Saturday night even in a pandemic um, you could just tell it was one of those atmospheres that right off the jump just ready to rock um, often see that you know there's only a couple times that come to mind really like Cubs playoff games the, the national championship game about eight years ago, and, and unfortunately, that game in Miami. And usually um, those atmospheres where it's so uptight, you know, or not uptight, just rocking at the start, it doesn't trend well. But uh, luckily for the Irish, um, it, it did Saturday night, and I'm just so happy for this program, the student body who's really been deprived of a lot of fun in the last eight months. And, and us, man, we, we deserve this one. Um, you know, it was awesome going to FND, after the game there, everybody sees each other. They're just giving each other bear hugs. You want to talk about a super spreader event. I'm sure that was one <laughs> of them, but man, it was a once in a lifetime kind of night. And, uh, it was really just fantastic. I mean, even Sunday morning, I'm walking around campus to myself, just thinking, did that really just happen last night? Smiling, um, really a win. You know, I think we've been waiting for our, our entire lives. Um, I don't think that's overdramatic and we finally got it and damn, was it good. 
there's a lot to take of that. Now you have two traditions. What you didn't even point out that the drill continues to be undefeated, mm-hmm. and now you have a second drill with the old man's plaque. That's it's pretty impressive, and it's a really good story. But one thing I want to touch on too is you're right. I don't know about you, but from the moment I woke up, it felt different. Like we've had a lot oh, of yeah. big games, and I wake up and I, there's like this nervous anxiety. And as you know. I normally get really nervous before the game and think worst case scenario, but there was just something different on Saturday. I woke up and I was just like juiced up. As Sam Bush would say, I was ready to go all day. I was just like, man, can this game start now? I just, it <laughs> felt different for the first time ever. I almost felt cocky going into a big game. Maybe not as cocky as you were predicting a 12 point victory, but I was feeling pretty high about it. And I mean, pretty much right when when Kyron Williams took that, technically the first play from scrimmage for a touchdown, you just knew tonight was going to be different. Um, All the big game disappointments in the past were in the past. And Mm -hmm. for at least one night, Notre Dame was on top of the college football world. Absolutely. And it could not have been better. Um, You know, like I said, it's it's a win we've been waiting for really our entire lives. Um, And... I don't want to make too much of it because we're going to have to play these goons again with Trevor and Charlotte. However, and I am going to make a lot of it because you know what? I mean, we've been waiting for that, like I said, our entire lives. And it was awesome. Um, and it was so nice to be able to share that with people who I know have also been waiting for it their entire lives as well. It's funny. I actually texted uh, my friend who's an Alabama fan the next day. And I was like, you guys get to experience this all the time. Like, this is what it feels like to win one of those games. I'm so jealous. I, I, I didn't even know how to feel. How many times have you watched the extended highlights, the NBC video on YouTube? Uh, last night I watched the game for the third time instead of the <laughs> Saints-Bucks game. I mean, the Saints-Bucks game didn't matter, okay, it turned yeah. out. But, but, dude, I mean, and every time I just pick up on something that I missed. Um, and, wow, it is – it's unbelievable. And – I'm certainly going to be talking about this game for the next month and, and probably the rest of my life. Um, but wow, what what a night. Our buddy Pat Falkenberg pointed this out, that it feels so great to watch one of these instant classics <laughs> and not have to think, you know, wow, man, it really would have been awesome if we had won that game. Or, oh, yeah. you know, the imagine jokes, if this play yeah. goes. Because I feel like Notre Dame's instant classics are on all the time. Like the 2015 Clemson game was on all week on the ACC Network. The Notre Dame-Florida State game. There's the Bush push. There's so many, it's hard to even keep count. For once, Notre Dame was on the winning end of it. And I got to say, I watched the full game yesterday. I watched the extended highlights, like the moment I woke up on Sunday. I needed to like mm-hmm. refresh myself. Like, did this really happen? Like, did Notre Dame really win this game a double overtime? And in the fashion that they did it in the last drive, everything about it, it felt almost too good to be true. We're definitely going to be remembering this one for a long time. Like, this is... Our generation's Miami. This is our generation's Florida State. You know, you hear about these games. I've seen highlights of them. I, I've heard my dad talk about them, like, endlessly. And, you know, I always wondered, like, man, are we ever going to get that? Like, are we ever going to experience that as a Notre Dame fan? Because, to be honest, it all seems like in the past because we haven't done it in so long. And finally, it happened. So all that gloating that they did and all that reminiscing they did, we finally get to do the same and, you know, we're making it sound like it's over. Like, there's still a lot more that could happen this season. And, uh, you know, it, you don't want to fantasize and daydream too much, but this might only be the beginning. Right. Absolutely. And and that's what I'm so excited about because, damn, this team is fun. And all the videos you see of them after that game just shows you how much fun they're having. 
how much fun they had playing for Tommy Reese, Clark Lee, as well as Brian Kelly, and, and I can't wait to see where this thing goes. But um, I, I know we've been pretty sentimental off the jump. Uh, should we talk about the actual game? <laughs> I, I think it's time we actually get in the game a little bit. So what are the three things you like the most during the game as you're watching? You know, a couple episodes ago, I, <clears throat> I made the suggestion that a friend had made that Kyron Williams might be our best back since Julius Jones. I'm ready to say that he is. Um, three touchdowns Saturday night. You know, PFF tweeted this out earlier today. The only three guys that have done that against Clemson since 2014, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Todd Gurley. Uh, that's elite company. And, you know, it goes hand-in-hand with the best offensive line in the country just absolutely mauling Clemson's D-line Saturday night. I'm ready to give them that title. They earned it Saturday night. Yeah, definitively now. Oh, yeah. They're definitively the best line in the country now. Yeah, and, and, you know, Kyron, I I know you want to get to this yourself, and I'll let you, but he was awesome in pass protection all night. Um, just, I'm so glad we have this guy for a while. Um, he, he's franchise baby. He's our franchise back. And, uh, I, I could not be happier about it, but further, um, Jeremiah Wusu Karamoa made himself a boatload of money on Saturday night. Um, that guy is just all over the field. Obviously the fumble return ETN absolutely heard footsteps on that. And he looked up and saw Wu who had completely sniffed out the play. And and next thing you know, it's off to the races. And then it was either the next possession or the possession ever. I can't quite remember the sequence, but the strip of Amari Rogers that then gets recovered by Nick McLeod. I mean, the guy reminds me a lot of Jalen Smith. um, And I don't think that's a stretch at this point. He, he's going to reap those rewards in the NFL draft after that performance Saturday night. And, and what I expect now to, to see as we go down the stretch run of this season. Did you hear him say too after the game about the, the play where he took the ball from ETN? Oh, he said he saw it right away. He said he's seen it a million times. He said the whole team knew the play was coming. And now today, uh, Mike Freeman from Irish sports daily suggested that it looked like Clemson might've been trying to do a running back pass based on the way that the receiver sort of like, started a block and then released going deep and suggested that maybe, you know, ETN was just thinking about getting rid of the ball. I think he just saw number six flying oh, yeah. in at him. It was like, oh, oh God. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want to mess around. Um, and I guess third, I mean, there's so many things I want to talk about this game that were awesome in the moment, but I don't know, um, you know, if you caught on to this, but every time Michael Mayer has a catch, they play the Michael Myers music from Halloween over the stadium PA. Um, honestly, just kind of a, a great, great bit that I've loved. You know, he had a couple early gaffes with a false start and a, a likely drop touchdown, but more than made up for it down the stretch. And, uh, you know, I got to say, he's going to torture or, or murder defenses the next couple of years. So it's very fitting, you know, as, as well as with the play on his name. Um, and honestly, like, you know, I know it's movie or music from a horror movie, but to me, like just hearing that, like it, it really put into perspective for me that I was potentially witnessing something historic. Um, I don't know why that was, especially on that big third down catch he had. Um, and, and just that music kind of made it more epic for me. And as it turned out, I, I think that night was quite historic. Um, but that was awesome. Love that. Hope we do that for the next three years or two years, however long he's here. It's pretty telling, too, the, the sort of confidence that the coaching staff has in him because, like you mentioned, he had those early mistakes that were really costly. The false start was on a fourth and one uh, within the five-yard line. Notre Dame was lining up to go for it. He gets a false start there. They have to kick a field goal, 
And then, like you said, the, the drop touchdown, it was, I mean, it's a tough catch. It wasn't an easy one, but it's one you got to make at that point of the game against a, a really good team like Clemson. And you know what? Despite all that, he still had more snaps than any other tight end. He had 67 snaps as opposed to Tommy Tremble's 42. Yeah. And Brock Wright is 24. So the coaching staff clearly has a ton of confidence in him. And despite that, they were like, you know, we're keeping you in the game. You're the best option we have. And that's very rare for uh, a true freshman, especially at the tight end position. That's, you know, typically for grown ass men. But I think anyone who's ever seen Michael Mayer would attest that he is a grown ass man, even <laughs> if he is only like 18 years old. Yeah, no. Uh, he and DJ uh, Ugalele, which I just missed. There you go. Again. I was going to no. know. Did you I get can't it right? Say ukulele anymore because did I get know. it right? No, that's what I was gonna say. I gotta give him his due. He earned the name. <laughs> if you break it apart into three, it's Ui Unga Lele. All right, thanks, Joe Tessitore. I'm not gonna go for it, but <laughs> at least you got it. Um, but yeah, those guys don't look like they're 18, 19 years old. I'll tell you that much. But how about you? I mean, like I said, lot to pull from this game, but three things off the top. We haven't even talked about Ian Book yet. Have we? No. And this is it. honestly disgraceful that we're 13 minutes in and we haven't even <laughs> raved about our boy Ian. We haven't said his name. Last week, we said we've become the Ian Book apologist. I said, I've got faith in Ian. He showed up big time in the Georgia game last year. And my, oh my, did he show up in this one. He played the game of his life. Yeah. His stats are great. Everything, if you look at the box tour, his performance is incredible. But everything he showed outside of the box score was also incredible. The way. When he fumbled that ball going into the end zone at a critical point in the game, and he's on all fours, and we, we talk about this with Steve too, that's the first time that he's really shown things get to him other than the time when he um, he shushed the home crowd. Like This guy has been the subject of a ton of criticism, both within the Notre Dame fan base and from the college football media landscape. And I'm not saying that like now we're going to do a revisionist history and those criticisms weren't justified. They were. But on the biggest stage, in the biggest game of his life, he played out of his mind. And you showed me this tweet today that Spencer Hall said he played like a madman. just said Ian Book was a madman tonight. And that could not have been summed up any better. I mean, like you said, we've been apologists. We get into this with Steve a little bit. But I don't think either of us uh, thought that he could even, you know, just the the stones he displayed on Saturday night um, have etched him into Irish lore for Forever. There's so many things we could talk about. The fact that he he wasn't sacked one time. Now, obviously, that's a you know testament to the offensive line. But the way he escaped pressure, the way he created plays on the ground, especially in the second overtime when he escaped, and he juked Venables, the same guy who forced a fumble. I mean, he cut by him. And then today, the Clemson players were saying, you know, he's uh, faster than what did they say? Faster than you want him to be is a weird quote, but it's a good way to put it. That yeah, and I and I want gas to be cheaper <laughs> than it is. Like, <laughs> so you're just saying he's faster than you. That's what you're saying. So he played incredible. Um, over 300 yards pass. He only had one passing touchdown, but I mean, the way he led the offense throughout the game, there was there's so many passes. Like the Avery Davis. That's a play that everyone's talking about, the post on the game-tying drive. It was so perfect, too, because he shook off the defender. He stepped up in the pocket and just delivered a perfect ball to Avery Davis. And I, and I want to talk about Avery, too. That's uh, the next thing, because what a story. Like, that came out of nowhere. I, did anyone <laughs> in the world expect Avery Davis to be making those kind of plays? Yes, actually. There's an account that <laughs> tweets at us pretty regularly, the uh, Avery Davis fan club, who I think their bio says uh, 
why isn't Avery Davis wide receiver number one at Notre Dame or something like that? So whoever those guys are, they've been on this the whole thing. <laughs> That's true. The team journeyman, he's, this is his fourth position, right? Came in as quarterback. Yep. Then he moved to safety. Yep. And then running back. And now he's at receiver and he's playing in the slot. And you and I and a bunch of other people have criticized the Notre Dame receiving core all season. And for good reason. Um, when you're not getting separation against Louisville, like that's a problem. But they made huge plays in this game, both Javon McKinley and Avery Davis. And the craziest thing to me is that he showed skills that like for someone who's never played the position before, it just seemed natural to him. The touchdown on third and goal that tied the game, the route was supposed to take him outside to the sideline. He was running it out. Book starts scrambling to his right. Davis turns and finds a little soft spot in the zone, shifts into it. Book puts the ball on him tie game and you know it's little things like that like on that post play too it was one-on-one with the safety ray thornton he ran a double move he faked like he was gonna run the corner ran a post and just cooked his ass like it was an incredible play he was a huge factor all game and you know we've seen it in spots before i think he had a big touchdown last year against uh it was either new mexico or someone it's somewhat terrible but big touchdown yeah a big <laughs> touchdown right and he just delivered and I, I couldn't believe it you know the most unlikely of people to come in and just have a huge career defining game in the biggest game of the year and uh thirdly Jonathan Dorr um our buddy Spencer Scandal said before the game that was his x factor and he was an x factor he went four for five uh, with a lone miss being that 57 yarder which in one way a glass half full approach is hey that means Brian Kelly and Brian Polian have a ton of confidence in him uh, the other side of that would probably be, why the hell were we doing that with <laughs> half kicking a 57 yarder? And um, shout out to Jay Bramblett for potentially Huge saving tackle. that game with that tackle. I have no idea why ETN decided to hurdle really? him. He could have easily cut back inside, but Bramblett showed on that fake punt in the Duke game he's got some athleticism. That he's an athlete. Hey, yeah. he's from Tuscaloosa. I mean, that they they raise him different down there, I guess. Yeah, that was awfully fitting, but. Out of those three guys, Ian Book, Avery Davis, and Jonathan Doerr, they had plenty of moments, and they all capitalized on all of them, and that's what you need to knock off the number one team in the country, and that's what they did. And, and to be honest with you, like every role player that Notre Dame had stepped up, and then you know your guys that you really need to step up, like Ian Book and Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, they had some of the best games of their career. So um, really – impressive performance from the Irish um, and, and one that became even more impressive to me on the rewatch. I know we usually do three things we dislike, but listen, we're, we're feeling pretty happy right now. We're, we're not, there's not a whole lot to dislike out of that game. Um, so what we want to do now is talk about three things we liked even more on the rewatch. Well, which rewatch is a good question, but um, I'll get us going. Kurt Heinisch. Uh, so Clemson had its lowest rushing output since 2011, which is insane. And Kurt Heinisch was a massive part of that. You want to talk about a madman? <laughs> Heinisch is a legit madman. Oh, yeah, I mean, look at his eye black. I love it. But he was mauling Clemson's offensive line all night, just pretty much taking up three gaps himself. Um, you know, friend of the program, Matt Fortuna, mentioned this on the Shamrock. Um, but last week he wrote an article which featured scouting reports from different ACC coaches. And he said that in his research and talking to these coaches, he had a number of ACC coaches say to him, do you really think Kurt Heinisch can stand up against Clemson's offensive line? Um, 
he said he didn't put it in his story because he doesn't like singling guys out. But I guess Kurt didn't even need the bulletin board material because he beat the shit out of that line. Um, he, he really did. And maybe that tells me that ACC coaches are even dumber than I thought um, because he dominated. It not only did he dominate, I noticed too that like after after they made a big sack, like he's just screaming. I don't know if it was if he was talking trash to anyone <laughs> in particular, but he was just, just yelling and possessed. Yeah, it just. Yeah, a man possessed out on the field with the eye black and everything. He just, he looks like a psychopath, but you know, sometimes those guys are like all emotion and and no actual production, but Heinish produced in a way that I don't think he ever has before or anyone expected that he would, especially on this stage. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, The second thing that I picked up both on a rewatch and just through, uh, I guess, perusal of social media um, I don't know if you picked up on this, but Cornell Powell, who we did not mention in our Friday preview, so I guess we're kind of dumb for that. He, he did torch us Saturday night. Uh, six catches, 161 yards, including the long touchdown. Um, pretty good. However, I, I don't know if you saw this, but after Clemson scored what would have been, I guess, the game-winning touchdown in the first overtime to go up to 39-33, he walks right in front of the camera, and NBC picks it up clear as day. He says, <laughs> oh, right into the camera um the irony on that statement it's not lost on me so i love when guys look like idiots like that that's great because buddy you lost the game (laughs) but clemson didn't score after that and and further um you know also related there was a video that made the rounds on instagram of a student running up to dalen hayes during the field storming and asking him how do you feel and he looks in the camera and says how do you feel how do you feel like a fucking animal and let me tell you, awesome. he played like an animal. That sack in overtime was unbelievable. And, and really, he kind of has been the emotional leader of this team, um, or brotherhood as he's been calling it. And, you know, that goes back to kind of some of the stuff he was doing in the summer um, when there was, you know, unrest with social justice. And he's really basically ex- exactly what you would expect out of a fifth-year senior captain. Just a special moment for him. And whoever got that video, uh, I muchly, I greatly appreciate that. That was awesome. Yeah, and I think that when he got that sack, that was the first time I think all game where I truly let myself think, like, Notre Dame's actually going to pull this off. Like, just – even even when they took the lead 47 and 40 the way Clemson offense had been rolling i fully anticipated them to score and i was already thinking like this is going to come down to third overtime two point conversion because i mean they scored on literally the first play of the overtime like Notre Dame has this awesome comeback and we're all riding high and then Uyunglele just drops that dart on that post i think Clarence Lewis got burnt there they ended up rolling him down at the one um, on one of the maybe 75 replay reviews that there were in that game. If there was, if there's one complaint about that game, it was the heinous amount of replay reviews that the officials were awful, awful, but they were awful both ways. Yeah. So it's not like one side uh, is I mean, they, point those to guys should just should not be put in a game with that sort of magnitude because they were an embarrassment to officials everywhere. Replay is supposed to be for like, like close calls. They were replaying Everything. They replayed or they reviewed the same play twice and somehow came up with different. I, I've never <laughs> seen. I've actually never seen that before. That was the first time I've ever seen that. I actually haven't either. That was one thing that was really frustrating. But when Hayes got that sack, it really set in. Like, oh my god, they're actually going to pull this off. So, Cornell Powell, he did play an awesome game, and and honestly, in that moment, I'm sure it felt like Notre Dame couldn't stop him. But good to see him proven wrong, and then Hayes get the last laugh. Absolutely. And then my third thing and relating to that sack um 
I know you want to talk about this as well, but for the first time in my lifetime, Notre Dame was the more physical and, you know, at least as athletic, if not more athletic team um, on an elite stage. They really beat the hell out of Clemson. Uh, Clemson had guys falling like, 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 I don't know, like trees in a chopped down forest in the second half of that game. <laughs> and looking at Dabo Sweeney's presser today, they weren't like freak season ending injuries. They were stingers or guys just getting the hell beat out of them. They're all going to be back next week. But I mean, Notre Dame just took it to Clemson physically, which is really a testament to just kind of the buy in they've had since 2016, in my opinion. Um, with Kelly 2.0, Coach Matt Bayless. And you could tell that these guys just really wanted another shot at Clemson from that game two years ago, and, and they got it. They're going to get another one in all likelihood um, in December. But I'm so glad to see just how they took advantage of an opportunity in that home stadium. Yeah, I'll actually start my the three things I loved off that because one thing I noticed was that Late in the game, Clemson players were down after the play a lot with cramps, stingers, like you mentioned. And we've talked about this before. Teams like Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, they have more depth than Notre Dame. They're going to continue to have more depth because they recruit at such a high level and honestly at a level that it's probably not feasible for Notre Dame to ever be able to accomplish. But that's why, you know, when they lose their starting quarterback and future number one overall draft pick, Trevor Lawrence, there's hardly a drop off in the backups. And that's why they can handle a few defensive starters being out, whereas Notre Dame loses Julian Love in the college football playoff semifinal and, and, and all hell breaks loose. So they, they have the depth and talent, but Notre Dame had the endurance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge, huge, huge credit to Matt Bayless, the entire Notre Dame strength and conditioning staff, and everyone that's involved because, you know, in a lot of games like this, like Notre Dame would typically wear down. Like when a team has more depth, they can sub in more guys and they can just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And it did not matter. Um, Notre Dame didn't rotate nearly as much as they have in the past this season on either side of the ball, offense or defense. For example, Kyron Williams played 70 out of 82 snaps on offense, which is insane for a running back. I think Chris Tyree got seven. Sebo Flemister got eight. And he was sacrificing his body in a way that I've really never seen a running back do. That's that's my second thing. His pass protection throughout the game. Incredible. I noticed it during the game a little bit, but then after the game on Sunday morning, Golick Jr. was tweeting clips during his Sunday morning rewatch, so he was in the same boat as us, where he was tweeting about just how incredible Kyron was in pass pro. And he was just clipping off, and, and you get a little bit more insight from him from alignment, and he's putting it into perspective, like just how special some of these plays are that he's doing. And, you know, these things don't show up on the box score, but it was so impressive that you just could not take your eyes off him. I mean, there were so many times, like the the post played Avery Davis, he's a great pickup, and playing seventy plays as running back is pretty damn incredible, especially considering how hard he runs, and that sort of level of play was consistent with a bunch of guys who were on the field a lot and you know like I said I'm so used to seeing another team kind of get worn down by a team who has more depth and more talent it didn't happen especially on the interior Notre Dame's offensive and defensive lines dominated the line of scrimmage last thing I want to talk about is we're big Tommy Reese fans and his game plan from start to finish was just Absolutely masterful. Killer. It it seemed like, you know, everything he had called kind of all year leading up to this game led to something that he did in that first half to an extent. 
Um, however, and we get into this with Steve a little bit. It was interesting to hear his perspective on this. He did some things that clearly um, clearly rattled Brent Venable's defense. And I think it, Steve, the way Steve put it was, I think he used a lot of bullets in his chamber in terms of, of Venables, um, which makes me feel really good going into a potential rematch. But, man, just everything seems so intentional and just – the preparation that clearly went into this um, went a long way. And if you told me that, and I know it went into double overtime, but that a Tommy Rees led offense would put up 40 points on a Brent Venables defense. I don't care how many starters are missing. It uh, could have been more, like a lot more. We yeah. left a ton of points on the board too. We left a lot of points on the field. Yep. But yeah, it, I mean, it was fantastic. Yeah. I loved the way that we use motion in a way that we really have in all season on the broadcast, Mike Tirico and Tony Dungy pointed out often that Reese made it a priority to break tendencies. You saw that Notre Dame was passing on first down early and more frequently. They passed in 13 personnel with one running back and three tight ends. They had only done that 10 times all year before this game. And the things like the, the formation shifts at the line of scrimmage where they, you know, they line up in shotgun, then they move under center, tight ends would be split out wide. They come in and now they're packing line of scrimmage. I don't know how much that throws off what Clemson is trying to do, but it makes them think. And they have a lot of backups and they had a lot of freshmen in the game. And now they're thinking, and to go into the NFL, like the Chiefs, they run a ton of motion. But I was reading this article and they were explaining that they actually don't run a whole lot of different plays. They just disguise them. They run them in a lot of different ways, but the guys are going to the same spots. And it was interesting to see how Notre Dame did that. Brian Kelly sort of dismissed the notion in the days leading up to the game that Notre Dame was saving a bunch of stuff for Clemson. Maybe they weren't saving plays, but they definitely had a, a plan in place that went against a lot of what they had been doing in the season leading up to Saturday. Yeah, I mean, including just kind of giving your receivers some shots to make plays, and they did make plays. McKinley made a number of plays on deep balls, um, just kind of throwing almost 50-50 balls up that they went up and got, um, and that was impressive uh, and God damn, I love our offensive and defensive coordinator. <laughs> it is great. Hopefully they get to stick around, but I think it's about time we bring in uh, Stanford Steve and talk about this game a little bit more. All right, we're joined now by the pride of Insonia, Connecticut, ESPN Stanford Steve from SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt. He's the nicest on-air personality at ESPN, at least that I've encountered. So we're super pumped to have you on, man. How are things with you? Tyler, good to talk to you. You guys sound a little happier than than I can imagine. You think you thought you were gonna before the weekend, but uh, I'm happy for you guys. Long time coming. I appreciate that, but I gotta ask you, Steve, when this 22 year old baby faced kid from Notre Dame started <laughs> showing up in your ESPN conference room, what, what were your thoughts about this guy? Well, it wasn't just him. There was a bunch of young bucks that just started showing up at show meetings. I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> and uh, no, Tyler and, and Ryan and all those, all those guys. It was, uh, it was, we got, it was the, the youth that uh, was needed to be injected into the show. Um, always brought ideas and it was, it was always good to have them around. Uh, so it was, it was fun for sure. <laughs> well, thank you. We're getting you at a great time because last week you went on Daily Wager and you said it on your podcast as well that you were taking Notre Dame money line against Clemson. You're one of the few, too, because even though Clemson was playing without Trevor Lawrence, most people in college football media still thought Clemson would win and, and probably win comfortably. So what did you see in this team in the weeks leading up to the game that led you to believe they could knock off the number one team in the country? All right. Well, there's a, bu there's a bunch of things. And first off, I, I was tired of the narrative 
uh, that Notre Dame hadn't played anybody. Like, that's what we're going to go off of. Like, watch watch the team that's playing in the game. Don't worry about who they played against. Uh, you know, the struggles. If you watch them, you know they struggled in the red zone. The Louisville game comes to mind. Uh, the Duke game got sloppy in the second half. Um, the other guy is Ian Book. I, I've been an Ian Book guy since, you know, he took over the job. I always thought he had the goods. I thought he's tried to compensate. Yes, he's, he's uh, you know, left the pocket sometimes with a great offensive line and, and hurt his offensive line with, you know, with not consistent drops sometimes, but he always had the goods. He's always had the grit. He's always battled through every kind of uh, situation possible. So I, I knew how much he wanted this. I knew how I could only imagine how much he watched that 2018 cotton bowl. So I really was expecting him to, to play well on this stage because there's not, I mean, I can't imagine how many times he wished he could get another shot at Clemson. Uh, with that, uh, I heard wide receivers, they weren't going to be able to get separation against Clemson. Watch the Boston College Clemson game. They didn't get any separation. They just took 50-50 balls and they made plays throwing the ball downfield. I knew Notre Dame had a great offensive line. I knew the running back was awesome. I love their tight ends more than anything in, in the sport, maybe. And the biggest factor was I knew they had talent on the defensive line to disrupt things and possibly really limit uh, ETN and, and put the pressure on Uyunglele. And I, I mean, Clemson's great, but I mean, at, at some point, you know, you start losing guys and, and, and the, in the field's going to, you know, even off a little bit. So I just, I really liked, um, in uh, Notre Dame on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I thought that they would control it. And now it's funny to hear everybody else say, Oh, it wasn't a fluke. You know, not Notre Dame dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage. So, all that, um, I just, I, I really, I believe in teams always wanting another shot, and I know how bad, um, you know, Notre Dame feels or how they've been on this stage, and I just, I really looked at the opportunity as a great one. I, I, I still wasn't sure, you know, how good Clemson was, obviously, uh, minus the best, uh, you know, the best player in sport. Absolutely, and and you mentioned being an Ian Book guy, and the two of us have kind of joked that we've almost become like Ian Book apologists because we've really just defended him this whole time, despite kind of all the criticism he's gotten. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, even though you like him, did you think he was capable of performance like he did against Clemson? Because that was really something. Yes, I did. I did. I always, I always, I mean, the mind games he plays with linebackers with the fake runs and getting those guys to come up and throwing over the, over the top of them. Can you imagine what he felt like when he fumbled in the end zone, being pressed against the ground, not being able to go and recover that, and just looking at the ball and the possible chances? And then can you imagine what his mindset was when he gets the ball on his own nine-yard line and he goes all the way down and drives for a touchdown after the first time they trailed in the game and he doesn't use one timeout? They didn't use one timeout. Everybody, you know, Tariko and Dungey are worried about the clock the whole time. Book's like, I got this. I've been in this situation uh, a million times. And I really think that the benefit of having a kid like Ian Book is that he's played so many games. He's been in so many situations that I really think Venables, you know, used a lot of bullets in his, 
his gun as far as blitz packages and pressures. That book, you know, as the game went on, he's like, all right, I saw that. I saw this. All right. And then in that last drive says, you know, I know what they're going to play in two-minute. Two, teams, you know, we, we wonder why teams always come back and score. You know, teams want to call it prevent defense. It's because defenses get predictable in two-minute situations. And, you know, Notre Dame's offense is done in a million times. You can imagine how many times Brian Kelly said, all right, here's a minute 20 on the clock, one timeout. Ian, take us down the field and score. They've done that a million times in practice. So I really think it got to a, a spot where he could be comfortable, and uh, it really showed up. I'm, I'm so happy for him because um, I've, I've said it a million times. I can't – there's nothing worse in sports than when a kid who has failed and, and gets that opportunity, gets that chance again – that, that you know they get that stage in, in in that moment and they don't play well. It's it's it drives me nuts when you see it happen when guys don't play well in, in conference title games and title games and and big regular season games. And I was just really really happy to see Ian Book play well. Yeah, and he bounced back quickly after that fumble when he when he fumbled it and he was sort of on all fours. That was one of the very few times I can remember him showing emotion on the field where he looked dejected but then he bounced back and led the comeback so even though the outcome is what you expected was there a performance that stuck out to you that maybe you know you didn't anticipate from an individual position group or anything like that oh uh, I thought the freshman mayor uh tight end really show I mean had some jitters early on with a drop or so but uh I'm a I'm a tremble guy I love Tommy tremble more than anything uh, I really do think he's an, a weapon that not a lot of teams have in the country. I mean, you look at where he lines up on the field. Um, but I thought Notre Dame's defensive line, they played over their head. I, I thought they played better than I thought uh, they were going to, you know, I, I, I thought they, they would, they would create negative plays and put Clemson in some, you know, uh, rough situations. Not only did they do that, they did that at the end of the game and that's, you know, won the game in, in, in the second overtime. You just mentioned it here, and I've heard you say it a few times, that Tommy Tremble is your, your favorite player in the country. And I'm just wondering, what is it about his game that, that makes you feel that way? He's just fearless, man. He's a human battering ram. I know tight ends all across the country are, you know, these glorified pass catchers. Uh, you know, and, and, and some – I mean, look at some of these systems that they're, they're the number one pass catcher in their offense. Tremble, I know some last year a little bit. Actually scored a – I think he scored a touchdown against my Stanford Cardinals. So, I'm like doing work on him after the season, just looking at him. You know, Georgia kid, his dad played, I believe, at Georgia to for them to be able to get him. Uh, he never shies away from contact, which is just – Something I love about, um, you know, that uh, in that sport, knowing the blocking angles he does not have, but he creates because his feet are so good and just his want to and his strength. Uh, he actually caught more balls uh, the other night, so that was good to see. You know, you always want to see the tight end uh, catch, the ball, catch the rock. So uh, I just – I really – he's a complete player, man. You don't see that at that possession uh, position in the sport at that level right now. Uh, you're either a, a glorified tackle or you're split out you know, flex and, and run and go routes. So it's awesome to see him uh, that play that well, be that balanced and be that fearless uh, when it comes to blocking. These two teams will probably play each other again in the ACC championship and presumably with Clemson at full strength with Lawrence back and the starters on defense healthy as well. So even if Notre Dame were to lose that game, what does Saturday's win tell you about their status amongst the college football elite or like the top tier? Uh, well, here's, 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 what's going to cut, got to come out of this. And we're not going to know for another week now is Clemson got even more banged up in that game. 
I don't know what they're going to – I mean, I think they play – I forgot who they play in two weeks. But – I think it's Florida State. Yeah. Is it Florida State? Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I have no idea what they're going to look like, uh, you know, injury-wise. They lost a bunch of – I mean, that offensive line got shuffled around a bunch. The defensive uh, lost that. I know Skalski was already out. I just have no idea what Clemson's going to get back from a healthy player standpoint because when I think about that rematch possibly down the road, I don't know how much more Clemson could do. I know they're getting the best player in the sport back, but, I mean, as far as throws, I mean, Uyong Lele, didn't he set a record for passing yards against the Notre Dame team? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, so <laughs> he's all right. It's I, I, I thought Notre Dame played great defense and they gave up 40 points. I, I really do. Like the drives that they, they, they tackled ETN, they tackled, they made them convert third down. So I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I can't, I think people are going to overreact to uh, Clemson, but, and obviously they should with Lawrence coming back, but I want to see the roster in its totality uh, when, when, and if that rematch happens. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know. I can't wait for that either. I, I guess just more big picture. How do you see hey, the, don't, like, don't, don't, Go slow. All right. You got some games left. You know, I know you guys know what happens. <laughs> That's true. I know this better after. than anybody. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I was actually, I did a podcast with uh, Ryan Rosillo today and I, I, we talk, I brought up the North Carolina game and I'm like, I could see Mac Brown just saying, you know what? We're not even going to try and run the ball. We're just going to try and throw it all over the place. Uh, that's, that's going to be, that's a game actually I had circled before the season, but uh, it had, North Carolina has been disappointing to me, but that could be a game where Mac Brown really, really gets after. And if Howell uh, slings it, like I think he can, he's going to give Notre Dame fit. So just be careful. Yeah, no, take care, good take point. Take care of business. Should definitely know uh, not to be two steps ahead of myself there. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I guess just across college football, how do you mm-hmm. see the, the college football playoff this year shaking out? I mean, everybody knows that Alabama and, and Ohio State's offenses are, are great, um, but those defenses can be scored on, and it just yep. doesn't appear that there's a super team like there have been the last couple of years with last year's LSU team and, and two years ago, Clemson. So, you know, how, how do you see that shaking out? I worry about Ohio State because I don't know if we're going to be able to see them get tested. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what's their best win going to be? Indiana? I mean, listen, Indiana's been an awesome story. Seriously, like, yeah, you know, we we you know we 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 want to say Indiana win Indiana win Indiana whatever they call themselves now, but like I don't I don't know how much we're going to see from Ohio State. I still want to. I don't I don't know how. I could see if uh, my real thoughts about their secondary. I don't know if I could see what I want to see in order to, you know, think highly of them on the offensive line. So they might just run the table and smoke everybody. But when they get to that point, I don't know how good they're going to be. Uh, we know how important the seating is going to be in the one through four. I think Dabo really, really wanted this winning in South Bend because you saw what happened last year when he had to play Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl and then play LSU. Like, if you can, you know, avoid that and play the four seed, I mean, that one seed means a lot. So I think Ohio State and Alabama are going are gonna to fight that out, as is Notre Dame. They, they have as, uh, as good a shot as anybody now with the best win on the board. So Pac-12, they need a perfect scenario. Uh, but we know that never happens in the Pac-12. Somebody always knocks off somebody out there. Uh, they need a collision course of, of undefeated Oregon and undefeated USC. Uh, and then, I mean, I know BYU is a great story, but in a year where it's shortened season, I mean, I can't – I can't. I think they're playing North Alabama this week. 
Um, we obviously saw them beat Boise with Boise State's third-string quarterback, but I can't, I can't take them seriously. Uh, and Cincinnati's the, the other outlier. Uh, I, I don't know how good they are. Uh, I really don't. You know, in the American, I feel like everybody has a good offense, but when it comes down to it, how good's your defense? Can you stop anybody? Uh, Cincinnati's done that. We know how good Fickle is as a defensive coach. I just don't think they're going to be able to get tested uh, the way everybody wants to see them uh, be tested in order to be taken seriously like a, a undefeated American school should be. I hear you. So I wanted to rewind a little bit because everyone knows you went to Stanford, obviously, and you even played under Tyrone Willingham, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. But what most people don't know is there was once a time when Lou Holtz wanted you to play quarterback at Notre Dame, sort of at the end of his career when things started to take a turn for the worse. So what was your recruitment like and where did it sort of go wrong with Notre Dame? Uh, it was, I went out to camp there before my senior year. Um, I was, you know, on their board officially. And then that was the year you didn't know it, but there was a bunch of turmoil, uh, going on, uh, in the coaching staff. I believe it was lose last. This was the fall of 95. So I believe that was Lou's last year, maybe, or maybe he did one I think more 96 year. Ninety-six was his last. Yeah, 96. Okay, yeah. so, so I mean, uh, uh, Tom Clement was was a guy who I thought so much of when I went to camp there, and then he disappears. Bob Camel was the recording coordinator, uh, and then I lost touch. They lost touch with no calls. I mean, you know, I'm I'm talking to the coaches every week. Uh, uh, you know, then they call me up. I believe that year they went to the Orange Bowl, uh, but it was just it just it got sloppy. Um, the coaching staff and the, and the recruiting, and I think that you know sort of showed up in in the years after that. Uh, I got to talk to Coach Davy uh, a bunch when I went to camp there. Obviously, he took over um, after, so um, it was it was weird. Uh, I wanted to give Notre Dame a shot. Um, you know, they were they were the program when I was growing up, obviously, in the in the ni- early 90s, um, you know, late 80s when they had it cranked up. But it uh, it just didn't work out. Um, you know, th- things fell through the cracks and um, it's uh, yeah, it, 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 that happened. Um, I, I, I was trying to give Notre Dame my full attention and they failed on me, Tyler. <laughs> I, I mean, it sounded like that was sort of the beginning of the end. What'd they have you do on your visit? Uh, it was, I went to camp there. So I use it almost as an unofficial, but it was, it was before the stadium was redone. It was before, I think the turf, uh, the indoor turf just got done. Um, so it was, they didn't put us up in the best place either. Like we were, we were in the opposite the stadium past the bookstore, like, all the way down in this old, old dorm that was like had a sink <laughs> that, in a room. That's the dorm we it. lived in. <laughs> and then, like one rainy night, they made us like after dinner sit down and learn the Notre Dame fight song. And I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I didn't like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Don't hard to argue happened. with that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you end up at Stanford. Uh, seems like things worked out pretty well in the end run after all. So so hopefully now um, you can help us out a little bit because we're two atrocious gamblers. So I was wondering, uh, do you have any tips or picks you like for this upcoming weekend? I haven't uh, looked. I just I – I shouldn't say that. I looked at the slate, and this is possibly the worst college football weekend of games that I have ever seen in the last couple of years. I mean, I think – 
if you put together two undefeated teams with the most wins, I think that gives you Northwestern and Purdue as your best game on paper this week. After that, (laughs) I think Tulsa's playing SMU. Is that correct? Uh, I mean, you got you got winless Penn State and winless Nebraska on the one on the one for fun uh, at noon, I believe, on Saturday. So if you have a take on that one, those two teams have not started off well. Uh, the the answer is I have not looked at at many of the spreads. I saw uh, there's a, there's another case. Uh, the one I would I just wanted to see for a number, the Alabama LSU over has to be in the seventies. It's it's got to be LSU's defense and. For that matter, Alabama's defense have been under par, uh, as you touched on earlier. Um, but I have not uh, been able to peruse the numbers. That's what I do on Monday night and Tuesday morning. Uh, so I'm sorry I'm not getting no, no, that information. Okay. I feel like I failed. All right, one more question, then we got some rapid fire. We'll let you go. So okay. you mentioned you're a Pac-12 guy. So hypothetically, you get a phone call, and they're saying, Steve, we're moving on from Larry Scott. We want you to be the Pac-12 commissioner. What would you do in this case to sort of fix the Pac-12 in football? First of all, get the darn deal done with DirecTV so people can watch the Pac-12 network. I mean, <laughs> this is like over 10 years, it feels like, that they haven't been able to get that deal done. Uh, get the get the, get the the Pac-12 offices out of the $8 million rent a year uh, offices in San Francisco and move them to Vegas. Make Vegas your home. Do everything out of Vegas. Uh, so that would be a couple things to uh, get started. Um, it's just the opportunity's not been great. I said it all uh, before championship uh, Saturday last year. I really, I mean, Utah was set to, to make that playoff and be there. And I said, this would be the most Pac-12 thing if Utah gets on the stage and plays their worst game of the year in a Pac-12 title game and we get shut out of the playoff. Of course, that's what happened. So got some work to do. People got to win some games in this conference. Uh, I will say that unlike any other conference, when teams lose on the road in the Pac-12, they just say the team that lost stinks. The team never get credit. That's because you guys have big fan bases than us. All right. So now, now moving into rapid fire, um, we we mentioned you know you're the pride and joy of Insonia, Connecticut earlier. And uh, speaking to someone from your neck of the woods, they wanted me to to ask you: Did you learn your betting acumen at at Norwoods in Insonia? That's uh, absolutely 100 percent true. <laughs> uh, what's the worst beat you've ever been on the losing end of? Oh man. Uh, I, I I get asked this all the time and I can't because I always I should have said this one and I should have said that one. Did you have any on the bad beats montage with like Ohio State Northwestern? There's the Duke one in the Belk Bowl. The problem is I was not in my one of my favorite things, I was not partaking in that Belk Bowl, thank God. <laughs> Uh, if you remember, we had the Chris Duhon shot against UConn in the tournament, and I was actually on the other side of that and won off of that. And then I actually won, uh, and I still feel dirty, on the Northwestern Ohio State game that's in the montage. Like, I had Ohio State, like, and it was gross. I still can't uh, can't believe that one. But there's uh, – I-, I will get back to you on that one for sure because uh, that's a list, and, I- and I never- I've never prioritized it. Because the pain of thinking back is on that is is definitely um, uh, uh, some pain. I do not want to relive and have to prioritize pain. Uh, that's not fun. So you're a gambler. So say somehow you end up in a situation where you're playing a game of high stakes beer pong and your life is on the line. 
Who do you pick as your partner? Not my wife. We <laughs> have had some – it's funny, man. We, I mean, she was a Division One basketball player. I actually played football. We have gotten into some of our worst arguments at over beer pong games because of um, me maybe telling her to put a little more arc on her shot and that not going over well. Uh, beer pong. Ooh. I'm not a, I'm not a big – uh, I don't know. I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I've literally, have, I haven't played in a while. Obviously, the pandemic is 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 going in. Um, I'll take Pat Connaughton. How about that? Pat Connaughton. <laughs> All right. Well, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Stanford Steve eighty two and check him out on Daily Wager, ESPN's gambling show, and Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt. Plus, you can tune into his weekly podcast, Stanford Steve and the Bear, with Chris Felica for the best college football picks you'll find anywhere. Steve, I can't tell you how much we appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining us. You got it, guys. Keep doing your thing. Appreciate you having me on. All right, that's a wrap with Stanford Steve. I actually forgot to mention that, you know, he said he's been a book guy this whole time. I was actually the one who broke the news to him that book was going to replace Wimbush back before the Wake Forest game in 2018. And then I was listening to his podcast, and he said he had sources telling him that book was going to be the sort of, like, that source was me. And I, I never got credit for that. So, so I mean, I want to give him our time. Were you the source that gave Barstool Chief his false intel that Book was going to be suspended for the Stanford game that year for nothing? Uh, the horrible news he was hearing out of Notre Dame? Because if so, you're not a very good source. Never, <laughs> never would I be Barstool Chief's he source. He needs to pick a new anything. team. Unless, unless I was like trolling him and I was just feeding him like, just fake news and then have him treated. So he looked like an idiot and the same way that he did when he's shooting about that. But we spent 30 seconds on him. That's 30 seconds too long <laughs> for this. So that's about all we got on the Clemson game. All I can really say left is ain't no curses. Ain't no curses. We've been posting about that all week, all the Friday night light stuff last week. Do you think people even picked up on that? I hope you did. Um, if you didn't um, watch the movie, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not even going to go through the scene, but hey, there weren't no curses, and uh, we finally got that monkey off our back. Exactly. We spoke it into existence, and it finally happened. So that's a wrap for the Clemson game. Like I said earlier, we're going to be doing a game preview for the Boston College game on Friday because there was so much to talk about today with the Clemson game, and there's a whole lot to talk about with this Boston College game, too. Yeah, we haven't forgot about you, Phil. Um, we're still pretty anti you, at least I am. So you're, you'll get your time on Friday. Don't worry. So we'll have plenty of time to talk about Phil, plenty of time to talk about Notre Dame, and probably a lot of time to try to not scare ourselves about the 1993 narrative, and hopefully it's not a replica of that. So, Dude, a replica of that ain't no curses. We just said it. <laughs> All right, there we go. So now we'll just start speaking that into existence again. All right, that's a wrap for this week. We'll be back in a few days. Talk to you then.